Crisis podcast will touch on sensitive topics regarding the human body, sexuality, pregnancy, and all aspects of women's health care, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. I'm Kate. And I'm PR. And this is the Midwife Crisis Podcast, Microsode, the podcast where you learn it's not just you. This is where we answer listener emails, readdress previous episodes, and importantly, share our self-care. So important. So today, we wanted to actually discuss a meme that we saw. Um, It was reposted by Scary Mommy on their Instagram. I love Scary Mommy. Yep, they're great, um, via at the mother doctor. And um, we'll be reposting it on our Instagram and our Facebook in conjunction with this episode so you guys can see it. But basically, it reads, prenatal visits, 12, infant visits, 7, postpartum visits, 1. It's time to change the dynamic in healthcare for new mothers. What does that mean, 1271? So um, the amount of times that you're seen. So for many people um, during their pregnancy, we see them multiple, multiple times. I would say 12 is probably average, 12 or 13 times. Okay. Um, and then infant visits, I'm assuming, means in the first year how often you bring your baby um, in for visits. And then, yeah, a lot of times the postpartum visit is just the one visit. Um, and actually last year, or I guess, two years now. Holy moly, 2020. Um, it ACOG, is 2020. It's 2020. And I actually knew what that meant, but I wanted everyone else to know what we were talking about too. <laughs> of course I knew what those meant. Those Just in case were. you guys thought she didn't know. She did, she knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in May 2018, ACOG came out with one of their committee opinions, committee opinion number 736. And ACOG, for you guys who don't know, is basically the governing body for obstetrics and gynecology for physicians. Um, ours for midwives is ACNM. But ACOG came out with this opinion. It said, all women should ideally have contact with a maternal care provider within the first three weeks postpartum. This initial assessment should be followed up with ongoing care as needed, concluding with a comprehensive postpartum visit no later than 12 weeks after birth. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And so let me just ask you, PR, um, how many times were you seen postpartum? Once per... All together or per, per <laughs> child? or so I, have, when, I have three children. Right, I was seen right, three times. Right. Yeah. So um, that's, not, that's not true. I had a little complication. So I, I did get an extra visit. But that's because I had a complication. Right. When I didn't, it was one visit. Right. And in my, um, you know, two postpartum periods, uh, yeah, I'd had my postpartum visits. And then a couple of weeks later, I went back again, but just to get an IUD in place. So, um yeah, so that's yeah. another, that's a different thing. Yeah. So basically you were on your own. Right, right. So it's it's definitely time to change the dynamic in healthcare for new moms, especially as it pertains to um, the postpartum period, which is only slightly regarded. I think if you sit around and you have a, a casual conversation with a bunch of providers, OBGYN or, or midwives or just those obstetric providers probably i think there would be some consensus on our our least regarded part of of women's health care is the postpartum period mm. and for some of us it's even the part we like the least it is <laughs> it ain't yeah. sexy i'm sorry but yeah. it's not and so um not sexy like oh you deliver babies nobody says oh you you do postpartum care. Mm-hmm. People yeah. don't get excited about, um, you know, postpartum care. And it's 
just as important for many reasons that we'll, we can briefly talk about. But um, yeah, so it, it is slightly regarded. And I attended a conference last week, I think it was last week, mm-hmm. where um, they talked about the evolution of neglect of, of postpartum, of how that developed. Like in the turn of the century, in the early 20th century, which is, you know, you count back 1900s. Mm-hmm. So the reaction of family and friends would be um, after a woman gave birth, and you know, they did this at home. And so everyone would gather up and they would say, did she live? Yeah. And that's a big deal. Yep. She lived. Right. And did then, she bleed out? Right. Did did she have a previa that, what, you know, they didn't know back they then? Didn't, and, they didn't know what was going right. on, but she wouldn't stop bleeding and she didn't live. Yeah. Um, Followed by, and there are other th- issues that came up in between, but followed by in, a, in another part of the area as era, as medicine improved, that was followed by, did the baby live? Mm-hmm. Because if the mom lived, sometimes the baby didn't live, but medicine improved. And so then they said, well, that was the baby was early, but did it live? Or other issues went on. It was three weeks late. Did it live? Um, is the baby normal? That became, you know, as we got better at doing what we do. And then to current day, what's the most popular question? How much did the baby weigh? How, and, and how long is it? Right. Not, <laughs> not, even, not even what is it, because very often they know, so that's not a surprise. Or they don't want a gender assign, mm. or, you know, or for different reasons. So they're not asking about the, the gender. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, how much did it weigh and how long is it? Like that is, uh, so there's some judgment on mom on how well she did in t- getting that human onto the planet, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's very interesting. And this has had um, an even graver effect on women of color. So, you know, if you think of current day, just that whole interest in just the weight, but nothing else. And here, you know, I wanted to, when I was thinking about, you know, us doing this this quick topic, there there were some not so fun facts that I gave some thought to. Yeah. In in this country, and we talked about this at the conference too. In this com- this country, we spend more money on prenatal care than anywhere else, in like uh, of developed countries, and our pre- perinatal death rates are higher than most developed nations. Yep. And that's a, that's a sad statement. It's, it's something insanity. that it is insanity. People are aware of it, but um, we're, we're, we still have a lot of work to do on it. In 1965, the C-section rate was five percent. Mm-hmm. In 2020, it's 33, 35. So like a third yeah. of babies are coming out. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people door. will say, oh, well, you know, we get patients pregnant now who wouldn't be pregnant before. And we have older moms and we have. But you know what? Like still, that's an enormous increase in that yeah, number. That yeah. is a crazy increase. And who and who is affected more by C-sections, mom or baby? It's mom, right? right? It's mom. because Why is it mom? C-section is the most common major surgery performed on humans. Wow. Period like look at all the surgeries across the board. Yeah. Black women die at three to four times the rates of white women. Mm. And um, many studies show that when black women complain of pain, we in medicine are slower to respond. Part of that is that there's this misconception that we have a higher tolerance for pain. There are all these myths around it. We have thicker skin. We have thicker everything. We're just, you know, we can just put up with things that so we're not necessarily taken as seriously 
um, as when we make that first complaint, it might take a few complaints, which by a few complaints later, then you become a Serena. Right. And, and, and you're just a hot mess. Yeah. Because you're really sick. And so I just, you know, I mentioned earlier that the nature of our business is such that postpartum period is like the least sexy part of our jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's when that's when however that's when things most frequently go awry because we're right. not watching we don't have our eye on the ball right. and whereas when they're pregnant and when there's this liability involved right where we're like oh well there's two patients and we got to make right. sure and you know baby's got to be good we can't miss anything but the baby's out now so wiping my hands of you yeah <laughs> you we're later. good <laughs> i got that kid out i got it safely everything's good so um, and, you know, this is when women get sick or they get sicker during the postpartum period. When you're not watching, you turn your back yeah. on the situation. And so, um, you know, I, I heard this this MFM specialist speak, uh, Dr. Neil Shaw, and he said, our job is to pre- prevent all this. But he said that not dying is a low mark. Yeah. Like we're, that's a low standard to try and not get people to die, to not get black women, brown women that's, women, anybody with a uterus, not to die. That's like from, um, oh gosh, what is that actor who is in The Hangover? And he's always like, but did you die? <laughs> you know Wait, is that in the movie, The the Labor and Delivery? Oh gosh, what is that movie with Catherine Heigl? Oh, I know. Yeah, isn't not, that the is one? Is that called Nine Months? No, that's not. Oh God. I don't know. All right. I know we're, what you're talking we're, we're about. We're going to figure it out. But anyway, did you, did you die? Up. <laughs> yeah, did you die? No, you didn't die. But that's a really... A really low mark. And so and the other thing, you know, I was thinking um, about, you know, I heard him speak in something else that he said I'm going to definitely attribute. He said, you know, we run a lot of yellow lights Mm -hmm. um, when we're doing that business of, you know, just obstetric care, but especially, you know, when you're talking about postpartum care. So um, because people don't complain and they're occupied with the baby and they don't... um, they just sort of focus, the focus is not on mom. Yep. And mom could be getting really sick. Yeah. And so basically we have a runaway train. Uh, along with a single visit for postpartum care, oh, you'll get two visits if you have C-section, which is major abdominal what? surgery. That's right. <laughs> and our current habits of ingrained and implicit system bias, um, we have the makings of a multi-episode podcast, yeah. actually. This is just scratching the surface. Yeah. I don't it's, know. I'm talking true. I'm talking too much, but No, but I think everything you said is super super valid and and actually, you know, disturbing. It is. You know, to, to hear I someone know. say that to say that, you know, the marker in our country is like, well, you survived. So yeah, you didn't die. Yeah. I mean, that does go back to some of the things that we hear people say all the time that can be harmful that we forget about like, oh, well, healthy mom, healthy baby. It's like nah. like sometimes Sometimes there's other stuff in play, right? Yes. So, um, you know, my first thought when I ever think about this is there are some women who are sick, you know, like pregnancy mm-hmm. is not just cut and dry, black and white. You have a baby and you're great or you're not. Um, and so women who are sick, who develop issues during pregnancy, things like gestational hypertension or, you know, the subsequent disease that comes along with that preeclampsia, mm-hmm. um, things like women who have diabetes during pregnancy, mm-hmm. you know, we check their blood sugar so closely till the moment that baby comes out and they're like, cool, you're good. Now you're not diabetic. And it's like, 
wait, what? I mean, yes, by, <laughs> by, by this sort of definition, are you any longer gestational diabetic? Well, no, but it's not like magically your insulin resistance is just like, poof, I'm great now, you know? So right. perhaps exactly. we should be looking in on that. Perhaps we should be following up on these, you know, women who even just have borderline blood pressures. You know, yes. I see all the time where someone, you know, doesn't quite meet the criteria and then lo and behold, you know, 12 days out, they're getting readmitted through the emergency room with preeclampsia. preeclampsia. Um, so that kind of thing happens. Even thyroid levels. We think, you know, during pregnancy, again, we're so worried about, you know, preventing, you know, uh, issues with the baby. We're, we're worried about things like, you know, mental retardation because their thyroid level is not right. So we so carefully monitor it and, you know, we make sure it's great. And then the second the baby's out again, it's like, okay, well the mom's fine. And Phew. Hey, like, Phew. Got away with you that know, one. perhaps we should be checking her for complications, you know, including her thyroid. So these are just some of those sort of physical issues that we should really be looking closely at. And I think could, could, use a re-examination, you know, in that first couple of weeks. Additionally, and this is my biggest, and like, caveat. Are, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go but ahead. But these are also things that are markers down the road. Yes, because, exactly. Because um, women with gestational diabetes, like, you know, some studies show that 60, 70% of them go on to develop diabetes outright right. in, in their adult life right. without being pregnant, apart from being pregnant and gestational hypertension. Those women also have a propensity to develop hypertension, you know, and they're yeah. later in their adult life. So it's just sort of pay attention. Well, and these are things <laughs> that we might, again, be looking at, you know, if we're doing a good job <laughs> on our chart review and everything at the postpartum visit. But again, there's so much else to do at that visit. So busy, it's, busy. it's, yeah. Um, my biggest one, the one that like gets me right in the heart still to this day, and it's so frustrating to me is um, assessing women for postpartum mood disorders. And Ooh. I can say, you know, pretty confidently now, everything, you know, retrospect is 2020. I can see back to where I was and I am a hundred percent certain that, you know, a lot of the anxiety that I live and cope with today really developed in that peripartum postpartum period, period uh-huh. for me. And we are so quick to tell women like your hormones are going to change first couple of weeks. It's normal to feel, you know, certain ways and let us know if it gets severe and that's valid. But at the same time, I remember feeling not right, feeling embarrassed to say anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. And like I was, not being tough enough or not getting through it enough. And then do you know the person who really evaluated that I was having struggles was the pediatrician. The pediatrician was like, how are you? And I burst into tears and they were like, oh boy, you know, but they could tell. And that's because they were seeing me. Yeah. And they're not caring, you know, they're caring for the family unit, sure, but they're not caring for me. They're caring for my baby. But they could tell, like, okay, she's had those sweatpants on for two weeks. And her hair looks wet. And that hair is is maybe wet, you know? So, like, it's... It's not wet. It's not wet. It's not not clean. And postpartum, you know, postpartum issues can be really significant and can really impact... This is the time when you're supposed to be bonding with your baby. This is the time when you're, you know, supposed to be healing. And when you have, you know, mood changes and things like that going on, they can be really serious. And um, this is why, you know, a lot of women think that they're supposed... They're, everything is supposed to be a certain way. So mm-hmm. you're supposed to be happy and you're supposed to, the picture that we conjure up in our heads is not necessarily a real one. Yeah. And so you feel some kind of guilt about crying for no reason or yeah. your, your baby's healthy and you're not physically sick. And so why are you crying? And right. all these people are trying to help you. Yeah. So why should you be sad? Yeah. Because 
it people because you get sad you can it can happen right it's, it's some of it is chemical some of it it's like mm-hmm. a perfect storm of things that during that time frame that we're and we're not paying attention yeah. like, baby good you good okay yeah. great, everybody's great. good move along yeah um additionally women who maybe have a poor outcome or have a loss or who have a baby that's you know in house at, in the NICU we're really we're not checking in with mm. these women and those are things that I personally um, my protocol is I call those women I always ask them or sort of inform them hey you know I'm gonna reach out to you in a week and I hope that's okay mm. and I do but you know you can't always do that and so sometimes women need to debrief and right they don't they don't realize that and then they come not that it's too late by six weeks, but then they come at six weeks and sometimes they've already sort of made up their mind on situations. And I remember sitting on my couch being like, I ruined my vagina and perineum forever. It's never going to get better. I was like Googling, like I was totally freaking myself out and it would have been so helpful to have had a midwife or a doctor Mm -hmm. be like, Hey, look, this is fine. You're healing well. It's going to, you know, just right. so that reassurance, right? Yeah. Um. So that that's where we go into the women also, again, who have traumatic births, things like really significant lacerations, instrument deliveries. Ouch, um, ouch, ouch. You know, we should be checking in with them sooner. Uh, reproductive concerns. How many times, show of hands, how many times have you done a postpartum visit, had someone come back and they're pregnant? We're both we're both raising our hands. I guess that doesn't translate well in podcasts, no, it but but if you could see it, you guys, you'd be like, dang, two hands, two, up. yeah, two for two. Um, it happens, and again, we're telling women, you know, nothing in the vagina and blah blah blah. But sometimes they need to really be reexamined, re-reminded, and honestly, sometimes their situation is such that they don't have a whole lot of control of it. Maybe they're in a shitty situation where they're being kind they're of assaulted or right, that, they're obligated right. to do that. And so, and sometimes they aren't, sometimes she wants to do that. Right. And that's what happens. And you said, no thing. You did you say no human in the right, vagina? Right. Did you say the reason behind it? You know, um, again, wellness of the family unit. I've had, I had a patient once who came in uh, about two weeks postpartum. Her baby was screaming, bloody murder, screaming, screaming, screaming. She'd had a, c-section and um we asked her you know when the baby ate and she's like oh no it's not a big deal she's formula feeding and we fed the baby and it sucked down you know one of those little sample bottles and we were like this baby is starving and so again you know we should be checking in and and for her she was a new mom and she was freaking and then she was mortified and we were just like it's okay but you know, sometimes you need help. You're in, in the hospital for such a short amount of time. Or, you know, if you're delivering at home, a lot of times your midwife's checking in with you a lot more frequently, but still you're you're alone. So checking in. Um, so what are the barriers? Like this was my biggest thing. When, whenever I, so coming out of school, I had this idealistic image in my head, like, oh, I wish we had a way to check in and go to women's houses and I'm going to see my patients more frequently. But Am I doing that? You and your black bag? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, no one's calling this midwife, you know, like it's it stinks. And so I would say one of the absolute biggest barriers, which is totally a bummer, is insurance. So insurance does this thing where it's the universal coverage for the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It's global, so a it's a global fee. fee. Mm-hmm. So from the moment we're like, you're pregnant uh, until your postpartum visit, we get X amount of money. And for some people with great insurance and things like that, we might get a lot more. And for some people with not so great insurance, we get not so much. And um, I think that unfortunately that does sort of drive that because you have to sacrifice 
some of yourself and that opportunity to be sort of making money. Right. Um, and again, for a lot of us, we wouldn't care. You know, we, we would be like, heck, yeah, just have them come in. And, and my personal policy is if someone calls me postpartum with an issue, I always have them come in. That being said, I mean, that may not be a great way to run a business. <laughs> I haven't had to do that. So. And the other issue with that is that th- that's usually... I can't even speak English today. That's okay. That's usually going to require um, a, a little bit longer visit. That's right. And so we're given, you know, 15 minutes. That's sort of been the standard that's been met for many people. And at my practice, we've worked hard to try to work towards at least 30 minutes for postpartum visits, but it's not always possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how are you supposed to address all these things in one visit in 15 minutes? Um, additionally, access to care. So, you know, we definitely have patients, I'm sure communities all over the world have patients where it's really hard for them to get back. I have patients who sometimes don't come back. I have patients who come back pregnant again, and we treat that as their postpartum (laughs) visit, (laughs) you know, three days later because they just were never able to come back. Maybe they don't have a car. Maybe they don't have money to take, you know, public transit. Maybe they have no one to watch their other kids. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there are uh, a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, people who maybe are sick or have babies who are sick and in the hospital that don't want to leave them, or, you know, maybe they didn't have a good outcome and they don't want to come back because they don't want to see people with babies in the waiting room. I mean, all of those things, um, you know, can affect that postpartum period, the, whether or not we're seeing those patients. Um, but I definitely think the biggest take home from this is yeah, we should reassess this and and see yeah. how we can make it fit in. We do need to reassess it for all the reasons that you mentioned, in addition to our own sort of biases, thinking that people are like, you know, she's strong, she can muscle through things, she, she's right. she's okay, you're okay, you're gonna, it's gonna get better, and you're fine. Yeah, and so we need to. Um, we do need to pay attention, even if it's more of phone calling yep. or yeah, absolutely. That kind of thing. If you're not going to spend, uh, you know, an office visit, just trying to make sure that folks are safe. And something we can do as just women supporting women and people with uteruses and families and people who have new babies is when you are checking in with someone or, you know, someone who you love and care about that's had a baby, check in with them. It is so easy to go see someone who's had a new baby and just be like, let me see the baby. Let me hold the baby. How's it? You know, and guess what? That is a person, you know, that is a person that you love and, and they may need you to check in with them. And my, you know, personal policy is my very best friend just, just had her second baby, a V-back. We're so proud of her. Um, Anyway, and my biggest concern, you know, was her. And I think that sometimes that is sort of the difference between, you know, midwives and the other, because midwives are with women and, and my focus focus was so much on her and, and really still is. And of course, I love this baby. But, you know, we need to be checking in with women. We're not there just to see their baby. We're there to help them, to offer assistance, to right. check in with them um, and make sure that they're well. Bring food. Bring toilet paper. Don't stay too long. Right. Et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Wash, wash, <laughs> wash the their dishes. dishes. Yeah, exactly. Um, Laundry. And let them keep holding the baby yeah. as opposed to you hold the baby while they serve you refreshments mm-hmm. that's while well, the you know the new mom serves you refreshments that's not really appropriate i try to tell folks yeah that's not you know i think midwives know better because we don't really care for we're not taking you know people say we're midwives because we like babies but mm-hmm. that we do like babies but we don't do this for babies we They're do it right, because we take care of women oh babies are so cute <laughs> just kidding i like, totally love babies how could you not like a baby <laughs> love a baby 
But um, we're taking, but Peds takes care of babies, and right. we take care of women, right. and so, so we're kind of our our sensitivity is heightened to all of this, and so yeah, definitely, you know, consider mama. And we want to hear from you guys about this topic. So if you want to share your postpartum um, experiences, your ideas, what you think about this, definitely please reach out to us. Like I said, we're going to repost that meme on our Insta when we release this. And we'd love to hear from you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk some more about self-care. Greetings, and this is Wine Time with Grown Ass Woman, an intergenerational conversation with Ife Michelle. I'm sexy. And Sharon Leanne. <laughs> you make me want to add a, a name. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you hit us up. We want to hear from you. Um, again, our email is gawomenspeak at gmail.com. We're back. You're listening to the Midwife Crisis Podcast, Microsode. So we've reached that time, that lovely time of self-care corner. And we want to know how we have loved ourselves in these past few weeks. Yes, I, hmm, how have I loved myself? Baths, especially now that, it, you know, it's cold weather up here in the northeast corner. So um, hot baths. Uh, Do you know. have a bathtub that covers more than just like below your belly button? Yes, because oh, when I so did jealous. a bath remodel, I got a a bigger tub. And so, um, yes, it does cover more than just my belly button. It's pretty deep. and I feel like a cowboy in mine, like a cowboy in an old tin tub. <laughs> just like tossing. Are your, are your limbs <laughs> hanging out of the tub? Toss, tossing water over, over my shoulders <laughs> constantly. I got to kind of like slouch down. I got to choose either my upper half or my lower half. It's like, it's a whole thing. Do you smoke a cigar and have a hat on <laughs> while you're getting I have to. Well, I have to keep my boots on in case I have to jump on my horse and get out of there, you know? <laughs> you're going to ride your horse down the old town road. That's right. Half naked. <laughs> Anyways, yes, I use these products. They're called um, Luho Bar products. It's an apothecary that you can see it on. You can actually look it up online. And beautiful, beautifully scented. So it's aromatherapy, aromatherapy <laughs> at the same time that you're getting, um, you know, your scent, your skin sort of um, made smooth and that kind of thing. And uh, I have the candles going and some tea or wine or whatever. And then just lean back until the water starts to get cold. That sounds lovely. It is lovely. Did your kids like baths when they were growing up? Uh, just to play in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have my um, oldest take showers now, but it's like as quick as human in and out. Like he doesn't mm -hmm. want to be in there. But my youngest is four and he still loves taking baths. And yeah. it's so cute. He'll be like, no, I'm going to stay in here. And he just rolls around like a right. little alligator. It's so cute. That is cute. I yeah. love that. The boys took baths together. And so they, you know, as long as they were playing, they were fine. Mm. My Daughter still loves baths. Yeah. And so she encourages me, you should take a bath, mom. You'll feel better. I love that. That's my dream. I think some maybe maybe someday in my future I'll get a nice tub that I can really fit in. <laughs> yes. Until, until please then. do. Please until do then, because cowboy when we, baths. 
when we were kids, we took baths in my grandparents in the yard in the little gal in the big galvanized tub. Yep. And we were like, this is the best. Just taking a bath outside. Trucks running going by. We would make that gesture, honk honk, pull them, pull down with your fists, and they would blow their horns, and we're out there. Buck naked with in the you know little bathtub like a cowboy basically love it but um that's I'm beyond that now <laughs> and I'm bathing in luxury love it ba- which, which Luho means luxury so um yes definitely a we bath will, fit for um, a queen we will link to um Luho in our uh notes for this episode as well as we can also uh post repost on Instagram so you guys can check it out. For sure. What are you doing for self-care? Yeah. So my newest self-care, never in a million years would I ever have guessed that this would be a self-care for me. But starting uh, the end of October, early November, I got really inspired by uh, one of my very close friends who over the past, you know, I think two years or so has intentionally lost an exorbitant amount of weight with just diet and exercise. And one of her exercises was running. And... (laughs) She, I know, and she is amazing and inspiring, and she's done, she hasn't done a full marathon yet, but she's done multiple half marathons, you know, 10Ks, all these different races, and I was always like, I can't run, I can't run, I I can never run. I couldn't even run, like in high school, I'd be like, oh, you know what happened? Weird, I broke my toe. Like I was like, it was the whole thing. (laughs) I couldn't run, ever. Um, And I just thought I was literally born that way like I was pretty Uh, sure that it was built into my DNA like if if zombies are coming like Jesus take the wheel yeah like it's (laughs) it's over um but she really encouraged me she was like you can do this I'm telling you if I can do this you can do this and so I started as many a person starts with the couch to 5k app uh Mm. in the late fall and I am now almost you know almost through the couch to 10k app so now I'm routinely running like three to four miles three times a week and it's so awesome I love it it is so cool I never thought I'd love it I am slow as molasses but I always think you know tortoise in the hair slow slow and steady steady wins the race I always finish um and it's been so amazing it's been really nice to just get out there and and like hit the pavement literally and all those wow. things that I was scared of and all the aches and pains and feeling so out of breath you know everyone always told me they'd go away and I was like yeah that's not a thing but it it does it it gets better and you kind of get to this hmm. sort of self-protective mechanism where you zone out a lot and sometimes I'll be running and be like oh I don't I don't even remember how I got here I'm just like kind of <laughs> I know I guess that's, I what, prob- I, that's I what I probably- do in the car <laughs> that's what I do in the car how did I get here? Oh, on the highway. Oh, you guys, I'm going to take away her license soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but anyway, it's it's been really super fun and really great. And I'm I'm excited. It's helping me. It makes me feel good. And yeah. my, everyone's encouraging me. And I just really want to give a little shout out to my bud, Jess. She knows who she is. Uh, she's amazing. That's and awesome. um, I, I tell her all the time, I'm channeling her. She's like, you're my hero. Oh, <laughs> that's really cool. The bond between you guys and the fact that you're running and you never thought you could yeah and it's good for you and your physical self as well as well as your emotional self. I'm eating a little bit more carbs now too which like I feel good about because I'm and using what's the bad energy. about that I know well I mean no, so I'm I have PCO we've been here before we've been down this road but I have PCO so a lot of times I eat a lower carbohydrate diet mm-hmm. um but I've been e- able to eat a little bit more carbs and still oh. keep a nice like healthy blood sugar because I'm because I'm using them 
Good. It's nice. Win-win. Win-win-win. Cool, guys. Thank you so much. We've come to the end, so we would like to thank, as always, uh, Baobab Tree Studios, um, all of our friends, our family, and you, everyone who makes this podcast possible. Please be sure to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Midwife Crisis Podcast, or email us at midwifecrisispodcast at gmail.com. And leave comments. Leave us your opinion. We're interested. We're like sponges. That's right. Until next time, nap when your baby naps and make yourself heard. And give yourself time to heal from that birth. Adios. Bye.